right, so as we continue our study through how to use the Bible to help one another, um, this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of work and resources. We looked at roles last week and, this and, the, and the week before. This ties into that as well, uh, but this I think has uh, practical relevance because um, everyone's life turns out a little bit different, but all of us generally work at some point or another. And so trying to manage work relationships is an important uh, part of stewardship of the things God has given to us. So we saw, I think, two weeks ago that God established work as good and necessary. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, God put Adam in the garden to keep the garden, to work in it, and that was prior to the fall into sin. And so from that, I think we recognize that work is honorable, Genesis 2.15. Because of the curse of sin, Genesis 3 says that work will now be difficult. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you are taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, work becomes tedious. Work becomes difficult. I think there's also a sense in which work in God's presence will be joyful. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. says that the four living creatures are full of eyes around and within, each of them having six wings day and night. They do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Now this is, um, uh, if you, then chapter 5 also says this, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now there's a lot of argument about what all that specifically means. Uh, I would take the elders and the living creatures to be angels. Um, and so the popular conception of us casting our crowns before God is perhaps not the most accurate, but the fact of us giving praise to God is certainly very accurate, and I think that will encompass a significant part of the work that we do in heaven. You know, people have this picture of heaven. You sit on a cloud, you play a harp. There's kind of pointlessness to it. That's not a biblical picture. I think work will involve service to God in different ways, whether that be in praise to Him, whether that be in enjoying the new heavens and new earth. There, I think, will be some parallels to life on earth now, but obviously significant differences. We get a picture of that in, I believe it's the book of Isaiah, where it talks about in the kingdom which is to come, there will no longer be any 
uh, fighting between lions and lambs, the serpent won't bite, you know, those sorts of ideas, those sorts of pictures. And so the, the fact of the curse of sin corrupting and marring and making everything in this life difficult will no longer be a factor. What about work right now? Masters are supervisors that treat those under them well. I'll read for you Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28, or 27, probably to start. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. If there is a promise of a transaction to be made, you have the money on hand, don't drag it out to your own advantage. There's something to be said for that in a position of someone who is over other people in work or just in a peer-to-peer -peer kind of relationship generally. Uh, Ephesians 6, 9 is um, the whole masters and slaves thing. Remember that you have a master in heaven. Treat those under you well. Again, the primary application was, or the primary significance, meaning of the text was masters who have slaves in first century Israel or the Roman Empire, here's how you're supposed to treat them. But by way of application, those sorts of relationships exist in some form today where there are people who are in charge of things and people who are under those who are in charge, and those who are in charge have a responsibility to uh, do what uh, they have promised to do to treat those under them well. Servants or employees to work with diligence, obedience, and honesty. There's this temptation, uh, according to the book of Colossians, that if you have a bad master, maybe you're tempted to disrespect him, to do the work slowly, to, to dishonor him in some way. And that passage and these others that are listed here argue that you're not really serving the master. Ultimately, you're serving Christ. Uh, the book of Philemon is a good example of this. Paul admonishes Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not merely as a servant or a slave, but also as a brother in Christ. And so there's this, this strange intersection of things in that in the early church, you'd walk into the church, and for at least a little while, you were equals, the master and the slave. You were coming before Christ as equals. You would leave the church, and... To a certain extent, that relationship would resume. You'd be uh, doing the things the master asked of you. The master would have the right to ask the slave to do certain things. But the fact of that time in the church as equals before God, both sinners, both redeemed, both um, having the blessings of being a Christian, should have also affected the rest of that relationship outside of that. And I think that's Paul's point, and I think that's the application to the work relationship today, which is, if you know Christ, it ought to affect the way you work just like it affects everything else in your life. Will work continue in the future? God's design for work seems to persist even into eternity, though the work is no longer difficult and tedious as it now exists. So, uh, God used resources, secondly, as finite gifts to be used for eternal good. Often, work leads to possessing various resources. That's how it typically works uh, in our society today. That's how it worked for Adam and Eve. They tilled the garden. They received fruit from it. They met their needs. 
uh, we tend to be in today's world several steps removed from that process although you know if you plant fruit and vegetables in your backyard you're not necessarily so far removed from it but still we don't really we don't really do it to survive we do it because maybe we like vine ripened tomatoes better than store-bought ones you know that that kind of thing um, so what are our resources resources may involve money time skills or anything else that God has given to us money first of all is typically given in exchange for work performed but other benefits can be substituted or added as well think about Jacob it wasn't a money thing it was uh, here's some of the flock you can have part of that as payment I mean we don't like to think of it in these terms but here's a wife work for me for seven years and you get to marry her you know that kind of thing um, so sometimes there are other benefits attached to work we have this today sometimes it's health insurance sometimes it's free training or education you know there's a lots of different things attached to work other than simply a paycheck connected with money there's some important things to remember profit from business is neither evil nor fully certain if you look at James 4 for example let's turn there Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will live and also do this or that. But as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. Therefore to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin. A uh, further discussion of it in for chapter 5, come now rich weep and howl for miseries coming upon you your riches have rotted your garments have become moth-eaten your gold and your silver have rusted their rust will be a witness against you and consume your flesh like fire it is in the last days you have stored up your treasure uh, we'll come back to that in a moment what's being condemned at the end of chapter four is it the having of riches is it the doing of business or is it something else it's boasting right it's trusting in those things and it's presuming on the future that you will always have them and that you can know the course of your life. Um, so, profit from business is not evil, but it's also unpredictable. We saw in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 11, I think it was, this idea of, you know, send forth your grain upon the waters, it'll return after you after many days. General principle, true. Sometimes the ship went down. Sometimes the grain got eaten by rats or destroyed by fungus or whatever else, and you didn't get a return on your labor. So make use of it, profit from it, but realize that even legitimate work is unpredictable as far as meeting for your needs, providing for you. And number two there, remember that excessive interest designed to oppress and exploit is selfish. The Israelites were not allowed to charge each other interest. They loaned, then they were to treat it. It's kind of like today. You might have a family member. Um, you know, let's say your brother needed money. 
most people, unless the brother had proven to be extremely irresponsible, would have a little bit of a hesitation of saying, here's the money, but I'm going to charge you, you know, 5% interest on it while I wait for you to pay me back. Um, and in the same way, the Israelites were supposed to treat those sorts of things as you know, between family, between brothers. They were allowed to charge interest to outsiders, but there are also, you know, there's rules and regulations about how much interest you can charge on loans and all that sort of thing. And the goal is a reasonable rate of return that does not become such an oppressive burden that the person is unable to pay it back. Uh, connected with that is number six, recognize that debt is a form of slavery. When I take out a loan for something, it's a form of slavery from this perspective. I am under the authority of the person who made the loan to me, and I am responsible to fulfill that until I've discharged that obligation. Now, does that mean never take out a loan? I'm not saying that. In our society, it is very difficult to realistically do certain things like buy a house without taking out some kind of a loan. If you buy a house that's a fixer-upper and you have the skills to do that, or you happen to get it when the market's at a downturn, maybe you can buy it outright. But, you know, generally speaking, most people are going to have to take out some kind of a loan. So, it's not wrong to do that per se, but there is wisdom in recognizing the sort of obligation you're putting yourself under especially when it's something that spans half your lifetime, theoretically. You know, a 30-year loan is a long time. So, um, excessive interest is wrong. Interest in itself is not evil. The, the question is whether it is uh, to exploit. Now, there are... Um, uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Number three, admit the government has some claim to the money that you have owned or earned. Uh, Jesus sets this example, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, the role of the government is to protect, according to Romans 13. So there is this, this system in which God has appointed government. Government has certain basic responsibilities and requires of us certain expectations. Now, admittedly, those can be challenging and difficult, especially as time goes on. God told the people, you get a king, You'll have a leader in front of you. He's going to require things of you. He's going to require your sons and daughters to work in his palace. He's going to require a portion of your crops. You're going to have to start paying these taxes. And that is true of every government. And to a greater or lesser extent, they all charge taxes and they all more or less tend to be wasteful of that money because it's not theirs. They didn't earn it. That doesn't give us an excuse to stop paying them. People sometimes get into arguments about whether the uh, American colonies had the right to rebel against British rule. And clearly that's not something that we can go back and fix at this point or change in any way. Theoretically, could there have been appeals made for the king to treat them fairly? Maybe, but those seem to have failed. Theoretically, might there have been other ways of resolving the problem? Maybe, but again, what happened, happened. Um, 
I do think that there is something where there is perhaps a little bit of tension for someone to uh, look at a passage like Romans 13 or some of the other things about God appointing government and then say, well, you know, the solution to fixing government is to overthrow it, you know? Um, and so we get a little bit of that mindset. We get a chip on our shoulder and we sort of start saying, you know what? The government's not doing what's right, so I shouldn't have to pay taxes. And then sometimes it ends up in extreme instances where people end up in little, you know, co com communities um, stockpiling stuff, and, and it ends up a whole big thing. Um, and sometimes that comes from a misunderstanding of what the Bible says or an ignoring of what the Bible says. You know, if, as I think as we'll see in our passage about Paul this morning in Acts, Take advantage of your legal recourse in fixing problems that are injustice. But also recognize simply because injustice exists doesn't give you the right to do wrong in order to fix everything. You know? Just because there are abortion clinics where babies are being murdered doesn't mean that we have the right to go beat up people who work there, as an example. And so, um, just we need to have a proper perspective on the relationship of government to money and our responsibility there. Number four, turn over to Proverbs 30. This is a good passage for us to think about. Someone read verses 7 through 9, if you would, Proverbs 30. What's the danger of riches? Okay, pride, yeah. What's the danger of lack? Yeah. Either extreme makes it easier to sin. Not an excuse for sin, but makes it easier to sin. Sometimes we think, if I only had more, I would be happier and there would be no problems. But sometimes a going back and forth through periods of having needs forces us to depend on God in ways that if we always had all our needs met wouldn't happen. At the same time, I'm not saying that we should, you know, make poverty last forever because like it says here, that leads to other temptations to sin. So, wealth and poverty both have particular dangers. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 we've looked at before. Uh, last fall, but the basic point, one of the basic points Paul was making was that when it comes to the church, the goal is not this. The goal is not that this is how much this person has, this is, that's probably not the best way to represent it. So, so this person has this much, this person has this much, this person has this much, and this person has this much. The point is rather, God blesses this person here. And this person here, let's say that this is the line of having all your needs met. 
This person here is way down here. God has blessed this person, so they have some measure of obligation to help. God has blessed this person, and so they have some measure of obligation to help. This person may be struggling too because they're not quite up to the line, but they also have the option of helping because that's what Paul says about the Macedonian churches. Out of your deep poverty you gave to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. So, instead of looking at it as everybody should have 50 bucks in their bank account, we should look at it as we, as God blesses us, have an obligation to help those connected with our assembly who have difficulty. There's wisdom involved in this. Sometimes we see, remember a discussion in another church, and there was a case where some pastors in a country overseas were not being paid enough to support their families. And so there was an incident where something that was probably the church's property got sold because the pastor needed to feed his family. So there was this whole big, I don't know if I'd call it a scandal, but an argument, an assessment of whether that was right. He was asked to step down. But it highlighted this problem. The people of the village were not taking care of their pastor and, and you know, helping him to survive in the work of ministry that he was doing. So, in connection with that, um, there is an obligation to help people. And sometimes from the states, we're like, well, we in America have a lot of money. Let's just send $3,000 over and pay all the pastors for however long. But the problem is that that doesn't help the people in those villages learn responsibility of meeting, those who are of meeting the needs of those who are ministering to them. It doesn't have to be money. It could be they bring them a chicken. It could be they bring them some whatever root crop they're growing. It, it doesn't have to be a money thing, but sometimes throwing money at the problem doesn't fix it. At the same time, using that as an excuse to be stingy when we're here living comfortably and God has blessed us is also not honoring to God. And so there's these, all these different principles that we have to keep in balance. Number five, don't worship money. Luke, Matthew, these other passages say, you can't serve two masters. If money is your God, God's not your God. If God's your God, money can't be your God. 1 Timothy 6 also warns against this. Many chasing after money have destroyed themselves and caused much grief. So, don't see money as the solution to everything. Don't love it. Don't pursue it wrongly. Another point connected with resources, they're given by God to His people for this life. Um, when we were going through 1 Timothy 6, so I was talking through it with 8th graders, I just tried to really hammer home the point to them. Your house stays here when you die. Your clothes stay here when you die. Your car stays here. The money in your bank account stays here. Don't live for something that you can't take with you. So use it wisely and responsibly during your life. You say, but I, if I store it up, then my children my grandchildren can benefit from it. Potentially. But like Solomon said, who knows if the one that comes after you is going to handle it wisely or not. And at that point, it doesn't affect you. Your period of responsibility is over. So what God gives you, 
Make wise use of it while you're alive. Just a brief comment on this connected with um, retirement, connected with uh, planning for the future. Sometimes God blesses people who are retired with the health to enjoy the money that they've saved up. And sometimes he doesn't. So don't put all of your hope in the possibility of enjoying the fruits of your labor for a few years down the road. Enjoy the fruits of your labor now. It doesn't mean don't save up for the future, but there's certain things that you can do when you're 30 that you can't do when you're 70. There's certain things that you can do, whether it be some kind of ministry trip, whether it be some sort of thing with your family. And so our society has taught us to sort of, you know, work really hard now, and then down the road you can enjoy it all and not ever have to work or worry about money again. And it usually doesn't work out that way for most people. And sometimes when you get to that point of retirement, you don't have the energy or the health or the other factors to enjoy it. So uh, take the advice of Ecclesiastes. All throughout your life, enjoy time with family. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy the food and other blessings that God gives to you. And uh, that some of that will come into play in the case study we'll look at. All right, let's keep moving here because I'm, I'm dragging a little bit. All right. Uh, skills and spiritual gifts are granted to us by God for his use. We have skills, we have spiritual gifts. I say skills and spiritual gifts because I'm not sure if there's a spiritual gift with carpentry, but it's clearly something that we could use in service of God to help other church members or to help at the church, you know? Um, there are things that are very closely uh, associated with spiritual gifts in the Bible, like encouraging people or like showing hospitality. Those, we can be confident that they're spiritual gifts because they're in one of the lists. I don't think the lists are exhaustive. I don't think they list every spiritual gift. I don't think every person has just one. I don't think you need to take a personality test to figure it out. How do you find your spiritual gift? By start to starting to serve in the church. I mean, to a certain extent, that's a large part of it. And sometimes it's other people recognizing and saying, hey, Barnabas is a son of encouragement. Barnabas didn't give himself that title. Other people recognize that gifting. Um, you know, a, a church calling a pastor, a church uh, electing a deacon should be because that person is showing some competence in the areas that they're going to be called to serve. And um, so we should be looking out for spiritual gifts in other ways and come alongside people and say, hey, I think you have this ability. Have you thought about doing this in the church? And help one another in that way. A bunch of passages there. You can look at those later. Resources are finite. Be diligent according to varied gifts. Uh, Matthew 25, you've got the parable of the talents. Some people can turn five talents into ten. Some people can turn three into three more. Some people can turn one into one. And some people decide to be lazy and don't do anything. And that is not the right response. We should not be envious toward people who seemingly have more skill or more ability or more opportunity. We should be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. And sometimes we take talents as in like, um, 
I remember there was a competition that I went to one time uh, when I was in, I think, elementary school. And the competition was called Talents for Christ. But I think there was a misunderstanding of what the talents were. The talents were money. We take talents as like, this is a talent show. This is, you know, someone's really good at something. It was money. But the truth is God has right to all of what we are. God rewards wisdom in planning ahead. You know, the naive person doesn't foresee any evil coming. He doesn't prepare. Uh, the lazy person doesn't set aside food like the ant. We should anticipate things down the road. God rewards faithfulness, particularly with the gospel, but certainly in all areas of life. Number four, God demands accounting of how resources are used, particularly of church leaders, but ultimately of all believers. So stop and ask yourself that question. If, if my service to God stopped right this minute and God evaluated it, what sort of a evaluation would he give? We get evaluations at different jobs, performance reviews, you're doing good, you're doing okay, you're not doing good, fix this. How would God rate you with regard to what you're using of the things that he has blessed you with? And then God refuses to allow his people to trust in these resources. Jeremiah 9 says some... You know, there are those who boast in wisdom and strength and riches, but we should boast in knowing God. Finally, resources are to be used for eternal good. Money is to be used for support, support of one's family, support of the church, support of brothers and sisters in need. That last point can never replace the gospel because the most critical need for every person is do they have a right relationship with God. But sometimes our desire to see that not be overshadowed has meant that we say, well, concern for the poor has no place in our assembly. But just because there's a church that only focuses on helping people who are poor, who are in need, who are homeless, who are all those sorts of things, doesn't mean that our church should never think about that, only that our first and primary priority must be to share the gospel. So if somebody says, hey, participate in this program to help people in need, and we're going to collaborate with the Catholic Church and the um, Jehovah's Witness um, Kingdom Hall, and we're going to all collaborate together, and this is in God's service that undercuts the clarity of the gospel to participate in an effort like that. So we can't go about it that way. But we should be aware of it. And I think the primary responsibility is to people in the church. But Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. So I think there's a, a general responsibility to all people in some respect. Do it wisely. Buy a bag of groceries for your neighbor that you know needs food, probably more than handing 50 bucks to the person on the side of the road, because for all you know, they're working, they're living as comfortably, if not more so, than you are, and they've just found this is an easy way to exploit people's generosity. So be wise in how you approach it. Time is to be managed wisely according to God's, to accomplish God's purposes. Uh, obviously, Ephesians 5, the, the larger context is uh, in light of persecution, difficulty, etc. All those sorts of things make the most of the time, share the gospel, honor God. But we should make the most of our time, generally speaking, not just waste it. Finally, skills and gifts are not for self-promotion, but for serving God. What are some practical suggestions about our resources? 
make a budget, see where your money's going. Log your time, see where your time's going. Seek advice about your spiritual gifts, see how you're using those well or poorly. Let's go to our case study because it kind of touches on some of these things. Billy. Billy is a nice guy. He serves regularly in church, is always ready to take time to listen to someone else's problems and show sympathy. But as you get to know Billy, you realize he and his wife Patty have some pretty severe money problems. Lately, they've been making comments about the fact they're not sure how they'll pay their bills and about how they can't wait for their tax refund to get here. One day, Billy and Patty approach you and your wife at church and ask for help with figuring out their money troubles. Hey, we know you guys have been here a long time and you've served as church treasurer in the past. Can you give us some advice? You accept. At your first meeting, the couple makes a number of statements, including, we can't figure out where our money is going. We keep paying the minimum on our credit card every month. Sometimes we have big vet bills for our three dogs, and we just found out our daughter needs braces by the end of the year. We'd like to give money to church, but we're not sure we can right now. We're thinking of Patty going back to work to help make ends meet and to get a little extra cash for a trip out west that's planned for spring break. You listen carefully, remind them that it's important to tithe or give to God before anything else, and pray that God will help them solve their financial problems. What are some things that we should pick up on from this case study? Okay, good. What else? Okay, what do you mean by luxuries? Okay, good. Do you need a trip out west? What else? Pets are expensive, and I mean, this is, it's challenging because we get emotional attachment to pets, but if you're at a point where it's a question of whether you can feed your family, give to the church, fulfill basic responsibilities, or have, you know, five pets, there's some hard choices that sometimes have to be made, right? What else? Okay. Is there... I mean, it's good to pay the minimum on the credit card every month, right? It would be it would be better to pay more, right? If you could, yeah. So, um, so let's talk about credit cards for a second because this is a this is an easy one to pick on. Like, um, who's the envelope guy? Dave Ramsey. Yeah. So Dave Ramsey is very hard on credit cards, with good reason because people don't use them wisely. But what are the pros and cons of credit card versus carrying large amounts of cash with you? Okay, so theft or security. What else? Pros or cons of either? Right. Uh, what about, and this is something that sometimes gets overlooked, and it really depends on where you're at. If you have a lot of credit card debt, 
then this is not a factor at all. But if you're paying it off every month, there's some value in having a credit card that gives you 3% or 5% back on different things, especially if you then roll that money into um, you know, paying off the excess. So again, I don't think there's one right answer for everybody. I just think sometimes it's easy for us to say, credit cards are evil, cash is good, or, or vice versa, and not think about some of the pros and cons. But I mean, I think the fact that they're only paying the minimum uh, I mean, maybe we should ask, why do you have big vet bills? Are your, are your kids leaving stuff out that the dogs are eating and having to have emergency surgery in the middle of the night? Is there, is there some sort of factor that, that you know, could be um, adjusted to help with that? What about the thing about needing braces? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and if you can do it, I mean, there can be, I mean, sometimes if you do braces, spacers, whatever, at some point, it means there's less dental work down the road, but it's also not a guarantee. So again, yeah, I mean, you have to say which is the need. I mean, between a trip out west and braces, I think we should probably do what might be helpful for the kid long term. Some of it's a matter of priorities. So. We talked last fall. I don't think, I think the tithe was for Israel. It was more of a tax to support the Levites, those sorts of things. So I don't know that every person has to say 10% is the rule that I have to give to the church or I am not honoring God. That being said, if we say we have pets, let's say we have pets, vacation, kids, and then God, is that a proper order of priorities for our money? No. And so there's something to be said for, even if it's a small amount, it both is a good example for our kids, it's a good practice for us to be regularly giving to God. Um, what about the thing about the wait for the tax refund to get there? What does that tell you about budgeting, planning, thinking ahead on things? Okay. Right. So a lot of people look at a tax refund as like this sudden amount of money. And sometimes we treat it as a form of enforced budgeting, but that's maybe not the best way to look at it because you're basically loaning the government, you know, $2,000 or whatever every year. So that's definitely something to think about. Um, what do you think about his wife going back to work to help make ends meet? Good, bad, and different? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes families have insurance, and that happens, and the insurance deposit will be. So there's a home 
So, I mean, I think it comes down to some of your motivations, some of your priorities. Um, I mean, I saw, I was just thinking about this this morning. I, s the, I don't know, I thought I unsubscribed from all this stuff when we finally bought a house, but Zillow sends me this email, or maybe it scrolled by on Facebook, and it was like, buy this house in Royal Oak. And um, that was a really nice house, but it was like a $350,000 house. So... Honestly, I couldn't afford to live in a $350,000 house. Some people can, and that's fine. But if I made the choice to buy that house, and then Kelly had to go back to work to help pay for it, I mean, obviously, if I stopped showing up at church, that would cause problems for my job. But, uh, I mean, sometimes it's a ripple effect. We make one decision like that. I need, I want, I have to have whatever this thing is. And then it has a bunch of ripple effects. We just have to be wise about the decisions that we're making. Um, how do you think about the, the conversation, the supposed conversation that you had at the end? Um, was there anything a little bit lacking about the advice that was given? Maybe. Okay, so that could be part of it. What else? Yeah. Sure, give them some practical help. What would be some practical help you could give them? Stop it. Yeah, stop it. Yeah, track your expenses, see where the money is going. I mean, that can be a really helpful tool because I might think that I, you know, when I was, I told somebody, somebody that this uh, at some point, when I was a seminary student, I thought I had only, um, Paul, do you mind grabbing the door? Or Evan, Evan's got it. So I might have thought that I only had um, bought Little Caesars like once this month. And in reality, maybe it was more like once a week, you know, that sort of thing. And just using tools to see where we're at and all that sort of thing is helpful. So bottom line, work is good, but don't make it an idol. Resources are good, but they're finite. They're for God's use. They're for this life. And we just have to help keep each other to have that perspective. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these things. We pray that you would help us to honor you in the way that we work in the way that we do, um, in the way that we use all the things that you've blessed us with. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.